Hello, I'm Zara, a self-published author of young adult and new adult fiction. And I'm Kelly, a fantasy writer being held together by threads of optimism. And this is Writish, the podcast by writers for writers, where we discuss craft and hot topics in the writing community. Preptober is the nickname that a bunch of writers have given the month of October because we use it as a 31-day preparation period for November, otherwise known as NaNoWriMo, uh, which is National Novel Writing Month. And we'll be talking about that in a future episode. But the challenge of NaNoWriMo is to write 50,000 words from scratch, although a lot of people have stopped kind of following the strict rules of NaNoWriMo is since I think it's like 20 years old now. Anyway, the goal is to write 50,000 words in 30 days from November 1st to November 30th. And some people, then they don't want to just, you know, wake up on November 1st and start writing if they don't have a plan. So that is what Preptober is. I was going to say, I think it's important to add in that not every writer needs Preptober and it's not a mandatory thing to partake in if you are partaking in NaNoWriMo. Um, Some people just, you know, fly by the seat of their pants come November 1st and then, you know, other other people need more time, which is totally fine. I know I am going to be using and utilizing Preptober to the fullest extent this year. But uh, but yeah, I think that's all really I have to add to that talking point. One of the main points for Preptober for some people who don't plan out their writing schedules way, way in advance um, is deciding on what project they're going to do for NaNoWriMo. I believe we've both picked ours... Yeah, I can go ahead and throw out mine because I'm very, very excited about it. Um, I'm going to be working on Project D, which was the shiny new idea project I had during Camp Nano. It is inspired by a mix of Greek gods and my disdain for Zeus. <laughs> really don't like the guy. Um, Legend and Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening. So I've shared a video on my YouTube channel covering the project a little bit more in depth. But this year, I will be diving headfirst into Project D with the strategy of of heavy outline. So basically what I'm doing is I am kind of going further down the road of plotter this year to where I am having a pre-outline and then an outline and then I'll write my story. So that way it all kind of just comes together a little bit better and that way my outline isn't as quote unquote messy or as vague as some of my previous outlines that I've used. So this could just be my descent into plotterhood. So is Preptober going to be your like official outline like after the pre-outline? I feel like it's going to be more of the official official clean outline because pre-outlining is very easy for me. I can do it very quick. It's just quick and messy and dirty and getting all your ideas out there. Kind of like a mix of a brain dump, but giving it form, taking the idea to what a uh, shape an outline could be. And then for Preptober, I plan on really heavily cleaning up that outline to the point where the outline itself may be 15,000 plus words. We'll see. Okay, gotcha. So 
normally when it's NaNoWriMo, I start a project from scratch at the drafting of it. I normally go in with some sort of outline so that I hopefully won't get stuck in the middle of the month. And this year I'm going to be doing something different because I'm going to be returning to my young adult dystopian romance that I started back in my senior year of high school, which was 2015. So feels like forever ago. (laughs) Definitely a lifetime ago because COVID is in its own decade. But the first half of it is written and it's not bad. I spent a lot of time like editing as I went in this story and I like the beginning and I don't have any qualms about that. And, you know, I could theoretically just write from where I left off, but there are definitely things that I know I could do better now that I've written and published six books. Um, Just a small flex. (laughs) So part of me is wondering if I should, you know, like obviously save a copy of the current draft and then outline what I want to happen with the changes that I want to make basically to deepen the world building and have more commentary about certain real world issues, but within the context of the story and then draft for NaNoWriMo as if it were like a completely new draft or if I want to just do the outlining for Preptober and then write the second half of the novel based on that outline and then worry about fixing the first half later. You know what I mean? Like, do I do part B knowing that part A isn't going to match it? Okay, so this would be my suggestion because I had um, a similar thing with curse breaker back in april whenever i was working on it for camp so part of the draft was done but i didn't do it all (laughs) so what i ended up doing was a total rewrite and so i guess what i'm trying to say is go ahead and do like a whole new outline but save elements from that draft that you might like for whenever you do start writing it again in november kind of pretend that you're starting from scratch just so that I'm not bogged down by like what's already existing, but obviously take what I know I like and put it in. Yeah. I think that would be best. And also because your writing style has obviously grown since 2015. Let's just talk about how long ago that is and how old I feel. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I feel like you have a lot more to show for the time gap than me though. Listen, Miss Six Books. <laughs> Miss Six Books and in grad school. <laughs> but you have two beautiful daughters. Yes. Who I understand might be driving you crazy every so often. Listen, I think we both have a lot to show for us graduating way back when we did. But um, I... I forget where we were even going with this. We were talking about our projects. Oh, I think that your writing style has obviously changed a lot. So I think with you doing a total new rewrite and just saving some concepts and ideas that you had will be the smart move to do. Gotcha. And I will do that. And then uh, if it fails, I will let you all know on the next podcast episode when I run into a wall way too early in the month. It, it's okay. We'll, we'll be here. We'll hold your hand. We'll get you over that wall. Everything's going to be fine. <laughs> but, uh, no, I, I'm not someone who uh, gives blame. 
out to people who don't deserve it and uh, you would not deserve it. <laughs> listen, listen. I am curious though because uh, like looking back at some of my writing that I did in like 2015 or going into college whenever I did, um, the concepts are really different from now. Like right now, the shiny new idea I like project is more of a light and fun concept compared to some of my other stuff that I've written in the past that had to do with death and mental health, where now it's just like, ah, you know what? I really don't like Zeus. I'm going to write a story about how much I don't like him and how much he sucks. <laughs> so what was this story? Like, I know you said it's a YA dystopian, but like what other elements yeah. So the idea came about from I had to do a what do they call it? Like an additional health seminar, which totally did not encapsulate what it was. But basically, um, as a sophomore and a senior in high school, you had a half semester of health class and it was co-ed and the guys both times, even though we'd gotten older, uh, could not stop laughing anytime we covered anything important. Um, but everyone had to also sign up for one of like multiple options of additional lectures. So it was just like a one lunch period where I went to this uh, thing called the neuroscience of attraction. And I was like, that sounds interesting. I, at that point, I still thought I might want to be a psychologist like my mom. So I was like, oh, this sounds cool. I'll go. And then they were talking about, you know, the different hormones that make you feel good and when you fall in love and a lot of things like that. And then one of the experience, experiments that uh, was mentioned was this one with voles. And if you don't know what a vole is, they're kind of like a bigger rat rodent thing, but they're not disgusting like the ones in New York are. And um, they did an ex they mate for life. So what they did was they found out that when they pair up in nature, they experience a high spike of the hormone oxytocin. And it's nicknamed the love hormone. Uh, and humans have it too. But my and my initial thought was, well, like, what if you did that to a human? And I invoice it because I didn't want to sound like a psycho. Um, well, one of my classmates asked it and then the presenter was like, well, we can't do that because that's, you know, morally unethical to do that as an experiment on humans. And um, I was like, OK, but I'm still going to write it as a book. And then, you know, uh, the dystopian genre was really big at the time. You had Hunger Games, Divergent. You had Shatter Me, The Program. Uglies was kind of like making a return because of the other ones I just named. And I just thought like, okay, you live in a world where not only is it normal, it's expected. Everyone has this done to them, but no one knows that that's what's done to them. So they like dress it all up in this matchmaking scheme basically when really it's bioengineering and biohacking and um, this girl is really naive and in the center of it and she totally believes in the system and her sister is her older sister is just like you know nothing and I could insert a Game of Thrones Jon Snow joke there but given I haven't actually watched or read it I don't feel like I can. You know nothing, Jon Snow. It's okay. I have watched it. I can insert the funny ha-has. <laughs> also, I'm thinking of Anna and Elsa whenever Elsa's like, you can't marry a man you just met, Anna. <laughs> that's, 
that's very much vibes I'm getting. <laughs> oh, I forgot to mention Match was like a series that was popular at the time, but I haven't read it on purpose because I don't want to influence my story. And the whole world goes like off kilter and then it's made even worse or just more crazy, you could arguably say, because then she gets matched to the president's son and it's a year early. So like, A, it's not, it's too soon and B, how did they already know who she's supposed to end up with? I don't know, but I love how quickly your books escalate. Like, first we're talking about like this matchmaking thing and how it's just really like this hidden, it's hiding this bioengineering and then all of a sudden, boom, there's a terrorist attack on the dystopian city. Or this is probably the attack that plunged it into a dystopian city. And I'm just like, oh, wow, that's a lot. (laughs) I am shook. (laughs) Man, I like, like watching dystopian but I would never – I don't like thinking about living in dystopian. Like Mad Max, no thank you. I feel like that's a little bit more realistic than some of this other crazy stuff. <laughs> oh, I agree. But there are people who are like, oh my god, I want to be just like Katniss. And I'm like, you want to be starving every day, being the only responsible person for your family because your mother is like absentee and – your little sister like needs someone to take care of her and you live in a world where it's totally normal for one kid to murder 23 others. Can we also talk about how some people identify with the heroes and the underdogs and can see that, you know, government is setting up different systems so that way certain classes and society fails or certain people or minorities fail and they in real life probably would not stand up the way that these protagonists in these stories do because you know mm, mm, you know what I'm t- it's inconvenient. yes you know exactly <laughs> what I'm talking about I don't know oh, I, I don't do. know if I'm wording it right or not but that's- no you are yes you are but there's to sneak it you know a little bit musical theater related as is my shtick um <laughs> There was a meme of a post from Tumblr that said, um, Les Miserables did not run for 16 years on Broadway for you to side with Javert. And for those of you who don't know, Javert is the pretty sadistic cop who is chasing the hero Jean Valjean because he escaped from prison, which like, okay, not great. But he was in prison for five years for stealing a loaf of bread to feed his starving sister. And then he got, he got because he tried to escape once unsuccessfully. So he was in jail for nine years and then he gets parole and then he leaves he just skips out on his parole so he can get a job and then this one cop just keeps going after him the whole time until he realizes like oh this dude isn't bad what have i been doing for my whole life (laughs) it's like people in the real world are rooting for javert after seeing this musical for so many years that like oh of course you wouldn't root for javert well also too if we want to you brought it to musical theater. I'll, I'll bring it back to cinema, I guess, with parts of the Caribbean or Caribbean. Uh, I know that the pronunciation, but anyway, um, the whole thing is that you're rooting for Jack Sparrow and his little li- like lagtag group of heroes, this band of misfits. You're rooting for them. But in reality, if you actually lived way back when, I guarantee the majority of people would be siding with the East India Trading Company and the like colonists in Britain because that was the easier thing to do instead of rallying with pirates who are, you know, criminals. 
but it, it's just from the point of the like the stories being told that you're rooting for these people but i digress because i know we can get down a plot hole of plot hole i love how i inserted that a rabbit hole not a plot hole we can get down a rabbit hole with us just talking about things like we could sit here and talk about you know women and minorities and lgbtq plus and how for some reason different time zones like in australia it's tomorrow and the uk it's tonight and in the us it's 1940s or the 1930s where you know women minorities and lgbtq plus people are just being shit on by old white men but we won't do that to be clear she went to be clear she was talking about the decades, 1930s and 1940s, not the 24-hour clock of 1930 or 1940, because we were going between time zones and then you just jump time. So don't want to confuse everyone. But uh, yeah, we could go anywhere and everywhere if we wanted to with a conversation. But let's take it, let's pinch it back, because I know I briefly talked about my descent into plotterhood. So let's get on to the three P's. Yeah. And uh, for those of you who are wondering what that is, we've nicknamed them the three P's uh, because they stand for plotter, pantser, and planter. And planter is the hybrid slash halfway point between plotter and pantser. But because we're both on the LGBTQ plus spectrum, we're going to call it a spectrum. And basically, at some point, you can count yourself a plotter. And at some point, you can count yourself a pantser. But if you're somewhere in the middle, you're most likely a planter. And you probably know what a plotter is. There's someone who plans out their stories before they draft them. And a pantser is someone who writes by the seat of their pants, so they don't do that. And then plants are someone who does, who does maybe a little bit of both. Um, so, Kelly, you said that you have been descending into plotterhood, but were you a straight pantser before then? Or did you have a little crossover lancing before you moved to plotterhood? Yes, my sweet baby writing journey began as a pantser. And that is some of the most unpolished work for myself. Um, I know that there are some pantsers out there who are amazing at busting out great stories by just flying by the sea of their pants. However, homegirl here could not finish a manuscript just by pantsing because I would get all these ideas and I just jump around from idea to idea to idea and never finish anything because I'm just going by the seat of my pants and I don't know when I'm supposed to stop. I don't know where the story's going. So then I was like, hmm, what shall I do to fix this? So then I kind of looked into plotting, but I was like, I'll just loosely do this. Thus, the sweet spot of a loose outline and a loose idea of this will happen in the beginning, but this is where I want to be at the end and then work my way towards it. But then my middle got really muddy and really crappy and not fun to write. Been there. So thus, yes. So now I am kind of exploring more routes to outlining, although I still like to be flexible with if my if I am writing and something in my outline that I have done previously does not flow with how I'm feeling the story is going whenever I'm organically writing it, I will tweak it and then tweak the rest of the outline later to reflect that tweak. So that's that's how my journey is going with the whole three Ps. How about you? Basically the same. Also, we're going to be talking a lot more about outlining methods in the future. I still do a pretty loose outline in the sense that I don't follow a set method. 
that, you know, is recommended in writing books or on AuthorTube. But I think my outline might be stricter than yours because I actually do outline by chapter and almost everything that happens in a very telling, like, narration paragraph type of thing that would never make it into my book. Whereas I know some people like Brooke Passmore, who's also on AuthorTube, she'll sometimes write scenes out in her outline and then kind of just copy and paste them into her book mm-hmm. when appropriate. Um, but yeah, I started out as a pantser, then insisted that I was a planter because, you know, I would still go off outline. So I can't be a plotter if I'm going off outline at any point. Right. And then it's like, well, if you make the outline and you try to stick to it, at what point can you call yourself? a plotter if not then so now I'm just like I think I'm a plotter but understanding that it's not live or die by the outline because like you mentioned sometimes the story you know you're not feeling it a certain way yes I think I think you are right because this is going to be the first preptober that I am actually using scene cards dun 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 I have never used the scene card before and I've been heavily binging Abby Emmons and I love how organized she is and I wish I could be that organized and my Virgo rising would have you fooled into thinking I'm that organized. But alas... I'm now trying to embody that Virgo a little bit better. And I'm hoping that it will help me get a cleaner draft of Project D because I think since this is just my to hell with it, have fun project, I've noticed with a lot of author tubers who are, you know, big A authors, they said that their to hell with it fun projects ended up being what got them an agent. And I'm honestly to the point where I'm just like, screw it. I'm just here to have a good time. I'm gonna write this damn book. (laughs) I mean, you should write what makes you happy. Every book that I've published has made me happy. You know, like I just write them and then I publish them. But also for everyone listening, she's saying that her Virgo side would have you fooled. But her Virgo side has been very, very organized when it comes to, you know, working on this podcast. So um, if you want to let us know on social media by tagging us at the Rightish Podcast without a hyphen and tell Kelly that she's doing a very good job of being organized, even if she doesn't believe it. That would be great. You're so sweet. What would I do without you? Probably just spiral into self-doubt and imposter syndrome because I'm a Pisces. Oh, look, our first episode. If you missed that episode, it'll be (laughs) on our website so you can listen to us talk about imposter syndrome and ways to combat it. Uh, Spoiler alert, the answer was have good friends. (laughs) Oh my gosh, you're killing me right now. Stop. Way to be like promotional and plugins though. Like good good for you. <laughs> if we can't do it here, where are we gonna do it? Oh, very true. Oh, I'm dying. This is like okay. <laughs> but yeah, I am channeling. I'm gonna try to channel the goddess herself of Abby Emmons and maybe a little bit of Kahila, who is also I don't know, Abby's a uh, star sign, but I know Kahila's a Virgo, and I know Kahila is like so so motivated and so awesome at getting getting stuff done that she wants done. And I'm like, I'm gonna make it happen. I'm gonna try this outlining method that's a little bit more strict because, you know, why the hell not? I ain't doing anything else. I feel like there should be some Virgo somewhere in Abby's birth chart. It would make sense. 
Well, her in- her enneagram or enneagram or whatever is a one. Doesn't that make sense? <laughs> yes, it does. Um, but since we're talking about you know being someone who gets stuff done and is effective at planning and productivity, do we want to talk about how we are hoping to maximize our productivity slash you know methods that have helped us in the past? Yes, let's let's just dive into that. <laughs> I'll let you go. So for those of you who don't know, I host writing sprints three times a week across my Twitch and YouTube channels. And I always use the Forest app, which is a productivity timer app that you can plant a digital tree. And if you don't touch your phone until the timer goes off, you get the digital tree in your digital forest. But then you also get these like fake coins called focus time. And if you build them up enough, you can either a plant a real tree through the organization Trees for the Future, which is great. And I highly recommend doing that because the earth needs our help, even though we're also the ones who messed it up in the first place. Because humans suck. Humans awful for nature let's be honest um we're kind of awful for each other too but um (laughs) so i use the forest app to plant trees for myself and for my people who watch my sprints in the chat by using the plant together feature because I've unlocked a lot of species with the focus time coins that many people haven't. And I do 20-minute sprints that keep me focused for those 20 minutes, and then I take a break in between to chat with my viewers, which gives me some time to mentally decompress. So that's how I can stay focused without burning out. And I also do it for schoolwork too, not just for writing. Yes, and to, to add to that, writing sprints are super helpful. Um, You don't necessarily like, I know I'm probably not going to be hosting a lot of my own, but co-hosting is fun for me. And I love being in the chat. Sometimes I just lurk. Other times I'm more talkative, but those are really motivating because, you know, you can be around other writers during this time. That can also be very stressful and to be a good support group with each other. But also because I am a mother of two. Um, planning and setting aside time and sticking to that time every day is very vital for me. And I know that some people out there might have, you know, a job that they got to work around or, you know, college classes that they got to work around. So whatever it is that you have to work around for me, it is my daughters. Um, make sure that the time you set for yourself, you stick to it. And another thing too, is that I used to go really hard on myself and to the point where I would not sleep. I would sacrifice sleep for productivity. And I learned that that is not the way to do it. And your body needs rest because whenever you're pushing yourself like that, the work you're doing isn't your best work. So ultimately take care of yourself, get rest, get food, eat, hydrate, all of the good things (laughs) and stick to the time and the schedule that you set for yourself. So that's always helped me. Definitely. And you should plan at least for writing time, even if you don't plan your novels. But if you're not taking care of yourself as a person, you're not going to be able to do something that's fun to the best of your ability. So take care of yourself in addition to pushing yourself for writing because there are people who get burnt out even writing for fun. I know I have and I'm sure Kelly has too. And we want to avoid that because NaNoWriMo and Preptober 
by extension, are like fun periods of time where the community comes together. And, you know, if you are burnt out, the community will always support you, but you don't really want to be burnt out during like the most hopping time of the year for the community. Also, it's very important to note that if you do not participate in Preptober or NaNoWriMo, you are still a real writer. Oh, yeah. And you are still a valid writer. I know there are tons of writers who don't participate because they don't like the word count goal because they have feelings of like, well, that's just words for the sake of words and not words for the sake of good words. And I've seen that argument a lot. Me personally, I'll do it every year if I can, just because it's so much fun and it's so much fun to be in the hype of it all with everybody else. Yeah. But I do see their points. Yeah. And like we said, you know, this is for fun. And if you look at Preptober and NaNoWriMo just as an excuse to attend a lot more writing sprints, even though you're not doing NaNoWriMo, that's fine. Almost every NaNoWriMo stream that happens, people normally ask, you know, who's doing NaNoWriMo and who's not? Because the assumption is not that everyone does it. It's just that a lot of people do and can support each other around it. But we'll also support people who aren't doing it for whatever reason, whether it's a personal life getting in the way or not liking the premise, like Kelly described other people feeling. I think that's a good spot to, to leave it off on. Yeah. And this is the Writish Podcast, and we'll be back with another episode next week. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at the Writish Podcast without a hyphen and on Kofi at ko-fi.com slash the Writish Podcast again without a hyphen. Be sure to join us for our conversation about creating characters. Bye. Bye.